We've been talking about breaking free, and uh, over the last number of weeks, we've considered some of the freedom that we have in Christ, and, and uh, it's based upon this faith-grace relationship. Uh, let, let, me, let me just stress that. Everything that we have, everything that we've received from the Lord is based upon grace and faith. We receive by faith, and it's grace, it's gift, it's a gift to us, it's, it's not of works. Salvation is not of works, lest anyone should boast. And our freedom that we have in Christ, that is a gift that's come from him as well. We've, we've looked at the fact that we've been set free from guilt and condemnation and shame. We've been set free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, even the very pleasure of sin we've been set free from because we're no longer what we once were. As the video said, we are a new creation in Christ. And we said that the ultimate deliverance will be one day we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin as well when when our Savior makes all things new. Last week we, we said that we've been delivered from the performance acceptance mentality that he has released us from striving to try to please him through obedience or through good works or, or, or through human effort, that he has, he has freed us so that we could rejoice in his accomplishments and in his achievements, and that, that is completely of grace. So when we say this morning, as we have been saying, that whom the Son shall make free is free indeed, it, it was truly free, then the glory and the praise and the honor goes to Jesus, all to Jesus. It's our prayer this morning in the prayer room before service that we would remember that it's all about him. And so we want to give him glory this morning uh, in all that we say and all that we do. This morning I want to talk to you about freedom from the spirit of fear, freedom from, from anxiety and, and uh, stress and and, and this spirit of fear that is paralyzing, we, 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 we can easily identify how that fear can grip you. The, have you ever heard of the expression, in the grip of, of fear? It can literally begin to squeeze the very life out of a, out of a person. It's, it's oppressive. It's vexing. Uh, it's more than troublesome. It's, it's tormenting if we allow it to take place. The kind of fear that I'm talking about this morning is not the good kind of fear. There is a good kind of fear. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. That's, that's the good kind of fear. The, the fear that says, honey, you're driving too fast. Slow down. And I say that, honey, because that's usually your wife, you know, who's telling you, honey, you're driving too fast. Get it? Um, that, that kind of fear is good. You know, the kind of fear that's alert, that alerts you and pumps adrenaline because some, some real danger is, is present. That, 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 that's a good thing. But the kind of fear that I'm talking about this morning is the negative fear. It's the kind that enslaves. It's the kind that imprisons. So I'd like you to take a look at this statement that we've composed. We used it to invite people on Facebook and uh, we used it to send out emails uh, for this service. By the way, if you're not on an email list and you'd like to be and, and get a notice of, of what the upcoming message might be, by the way, it's a great way of inviting someone to church. Like you forward a message to a bunch of your friends and say, hey, come check out what our church is talking about this week. It's a great way. So sign up for that. We would appreciate that. Here's the statement. Fear can become a controlling force in a person's life. 
Fear can become, if you allow it, the controlling factor or force in a person's life. One, one example uh, of an extreme case of uh, this kind of oppression of control uh, is uh, the phobia called agoraphobia. Uh, agoraphobia is the fear of open spaces, the fear of public places. It's, it, it grips a hold of a person uh, so that they, they don't venture outside of their comfort zone, which is usually their, their house or their apartment. They're afraid to go outdoors. And uh, that's certainly an extreme case. Um, here's another case. In, it's like a scene from, uh, from the movie uh, Fatal, uh, Fatal Destination. But this was no movie. Uh, this really happened. Uh, in his book, Charles Swindoll, in his book, The Quest for Character, he recounts the story of a famous uh, mural artist by the name of H.G.H. Zondurant. He hanged murals in about 40 different public places at this. He was very successful, very popular uh, in, in public uh, buildings. Uh, one day he heard the story of a small boy who was accidentally killed in an automobile accident. And it got to the point where he was thinking about it so much that he couldn't concentrate on his work. He, he began to imagine something like that happening to one of his three children, and, and his worry became an excessive anxiety to, to the point where it became an inescapable obsession. He canceled his plans to purchase a house in Pasadena, California, which was a busy area, and he was in, he's searching for a piece of property that would be safe for his children to, to grow up in. And that's when fear literally began to take control of his life. Chuck Swindoll observes, he says, he tried to imagine the danger in everything, the property, the proximity of, to, of, of the house to the traffic, the vulnerability of trespasses, the exposure to the environment, dangers. All of this was seriously pondered. Once a safe plot was, of land was found, he began to build his house. He built it. It was, it was both beautiful, but it was functionally, this is most important, it was functionally safe and secure. Finally, the day came when, when the garage was being built, the, the final part of the project. And uh, he pulled his car into the garage, and he stood back, and he took a look. And once again, he, he observed any of the possibilities of danger. Might and then he realized, I might one day back out of the garage in a hasty way, and, and maybe I would run over one of my three children. And so he, he, he got the contractor to come back, and they they, they set up the forms for a, a, a concrete turnaround. But when they were ready to pour the concrete that day, it rained. And it hadn't rained for weeks in a West Coast drought. So they were unable to, to, to pour the, the concrete. A couple of days later, that Sunday, he pulls out of the driveway. At that point, his child, his little boy, squirmed out of the grip of his little sister and ran right behind the car and was instantly killed. Here's a man who was trying to create a safe environment by removing the risk factor from life, but the very thing that he feared came upon him. 
See, the tragedy didn't happen on that Sunday, February 9th, 1947. That tragedy began when he began to become controlled by that spirit of fear that took over his life. Now, it's obvious that God doesn't want us to to live oppressed with, with fear and anxiety and stress. I mean, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's not what I would call an abundant kind of a life, living in that kind of just torture and torment of what might happen, a fear of, of the future. You know, it's been long suspected that there's a correlation between stress and sickness. And a group of researchers in uh, Sydney, Australia, got together and they, they did this research where they, they, they concluded that it's no longer a myth that, that they isolated this particular hormone called neuropeptide Y. Neuropeptide Y. They discovered that it, when it's released in the body under times of emotional stress and distress, what it does is it, it undermines and it attacks the immune system and literally makes a person sick. And then the, the head of the project said this, the stress that stress makes you sick is no longer a myth. It's a reality, and we need to take it seriously. Well, the Bible has always taken stress and worry and anxiety seriously and has given us advice about how to overcome fear and stress and anxiety. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, five times said, don't worry, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about this stuff. Life is more than that. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. I love the way Paul put it. It'll be up on the screen, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And that covers everything. So if you're, you're not to be, by the way, let me just say this, that whenever God gives us a command, with the command always comes the grace to carry out the command. He doesn't leave us helpless, but he empowers us in that word of command. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's the attitude of our hearts, present your request to God, and then this is what's going to happen. The peace of God that is inexplicable, that is beyond comprehension, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. The very places that we need the peace of God to rule is in the area of our minds and in our hearts. So God's answer for anxiety is peace that's supernatural. And it's very similar to what Peter said, that we can cast all of our anxieties upon the Lord knowing that he cares for us. I mean, how many times do we need to remind ourselves that God has numbered the hairs on our head, that God is so concerned and so interested in us that the, the one who cares for us, that we can literally cast these anxieties over upon him. 63 times you'll find the phrase in the, in the, in the, in the scriptures, fear not. 51 times the Lord says, do not be afraid. 69 times, another variation of that. But if you come from Brooklyn, in the book of Malachi, you have, do not be a scared. You know, 
I don't know. I always thought that that was a word, a scared, until my, you know, my smart wife, who was, I married her because she was so smart, told me, honey, that's not a word. It's not a real word. <laughs> well, I can't help it. Well, I come from Brooklyn. But then she said, but I come from Brooklyn, too. You know, talk about Brooklyn. You know, in preparing for this message, I had some, I had some, some memories of, of, you know, childhood fears. And, and, and those are probably the first times that we've got to, you know, kind of deal with, you know, the, the fear of the dark, the fear of being alone. You know, I remember the first time I was left home alone on purpose by my parents. I, I, I seem to remember it was a Sunday night. It was dark. They had to go out to a funeral. And uh, they left me home alone, you know. And uh, so the doors, you know, double-checked. The doors are locked. The windows are locked, you know. Passed through the kitchen, and I got myself a butcher knife. Anything that was going to come through those doors was going to meet me and my butcher's knife. You see, what happens is we have, a, we have one or two choices during times of fright. We either flee, flight, or we fight. We stand and fight. I chose to stand and fight, especially at that time in Brooklyn. Now, here's an amazing thing. I, I lived in, in South Brooklyn, and my wife lived in, what was that neighborhood? Highland Park. Brooklyn. So like the areas were like about 25, at least maybe 30 minutes away from each other. But there was a rumor going around and, and we conferred, you know, after we met, we, we somehow came up. There was a rumor going around that there was a group of men, a gang of men, men, we're not talking about children, men, a gang of men called the Baldies. Maybe some of you might remember that. The gang of men called the Baldies, and they would, they would sneak into uh, first-floor apartments, and they would kill children, you know? And this was, it's, what, was you, what do you call that? A, an urban legend, you know? For the next year, I carried that butcher knife with me in my school bag. Uh, by the way, back in the day, we didn't have backpacks. We had school bags. How many of you know what I'm talking about, you know? I tell you what, if I would have got caught with a knife in school, then it would have been nothing, you know, but today I would have been in jail, you know. But, you know, some of those fears that we deal with, it's either fight or flight, you know. Uh, on a national level, you know, th th there, was, there was a frightening times. Listen, if you were alive during the time, you remember exactly where you are when you heard the news that the Russians had launched a satellite into space called Sputnik. We didn't even know what a satellite was. But it scared the bejeebas out of us. It scared us. Sputnik, even, even the name Sputnik was, was frightening. And that began a national scare that moved the nation toward the, the race for space. And that was a, a, a good thing. But, you know, fear can be paralyzing. I want to talk to you about a few individuals from Scripture, three examples in Scripture of, of, of men who... Uh, for the most part, were courageous, were the heroes of faith, but yet had a lapse of courage and gave in to that controlling spirit of fear, even if it was only momentary. First example is that of Abraham. Before his name was called Abraham, before God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, there's a, a, an interesting uh, verse of Scripture in the book of Genesis. So we want to look at that, Genesis chapter 15. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid. Now, by the way, this is 
what's called the law of first mention. This is the first time that phrase is used, Genesis 15, right, a long time ago, where God says to one of his covenant children, do not be afraid, okay? When we think of Abram, we think of blessing. We think of the New Testament where it says that the blessings of Abraham might also come upon the Gentiles. Abraham was supposed to be a blessing so that he might be a blessing through his seed to all the nations of the earth. So, so, so fear, how many of you know, it, to live in par- to be paralyzed by fear is not a blessing, okay? So the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Don't be afraid. If God says to you, don't be afraid, it's because you've been afraid. Now, the interesting thing about this portion of Scripture is that we, we, we only can surmise that, that there was fear that he was grappling with and wrestling with at this particular time. But, but notice the, the beginning words of that sentence, after these things, and you have to ask yourself, after what things? Well, after the things that were recorded in the 14th chapter, after Abraham had demonstrated tremendous courage in his fight against a situation where his nephew Lot and their family were abducted, kidnapped by these marauding chieftains that came through the city of Sodom and and took them all captive. And he, with, with the trained servants of his own household, arose to the occasion, didn't flee, but arose to the occasion, and in that courage, won back his family and all those that were were, were taken captive and, and had a great victory. I just want you to know that many times after we've had a great victory, suddenly there's an attack against us. And one of the attacks in this case was Abram was beginning to be frightened about his future. What's my future going to look like? Am I going to bear consequences for what's, what's happened? Is this going to be the the rest of the days of my life. So God comes to him and the word of the Lord comes to him to strengthen him and to encourage him and to say, Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your protection, your shield. I am the one that's going to provide for you. I am your treasured possession. And you know, the way that God comforted and strengthened Abraham is the same way that God comforts and strengthens us today. When we hear a message like this or when we open up the word for ourselves and God speaks to us out of the word of God and that word is alive and powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is intended to release in us life and strength and grace and help. So when the word of the Lord comes, you might be here this morning, you might be facing something that is pressure-filled. I pray this morning that the word of the Lord will come to you and say to you personally, do not be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Don't be anxious or fearful. I want you to consider for a minute David. There's not many more courageous, brave, mighty in battle men such as David. But David, just like you and I, will from time to time have to wrestle or struggle against some present fear that comes into our life. Seasons in which suddenly there's just fear comes upon us, maybe even for, for no apparent reason, will come to attack us. I, I tell you, one of the things is, you know, 
uh, some of the products that we're, that we're used to using, if you ever notice, they change sometimes the packaging and they'll have on, on the packaging new and improved. Well, when it comes to the, the weapons of darkness, th- there's nothing new and there's nothing improved about some of the, the old standbys of, of the enemy. And, and that is, fear is one of them. It's been successful in the past. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that David, David in, in one chapter says, the Lord will deliver me out of, out of Saul's evil hand. And then in the next chapter, first verse, it says, I will now one day die by the hand of Saul. His heart had sunk and he began to fear that his destiny was not going to be to sit upon the throne of Israel, but rather that Saul was going to have his way, that he was going to really die. Now, now Saul was a real threat, but what happened was that, that came to, to skew his perception. And his perception became distorted until the Bible says that he did something. And I want to show you what he did. Psalm 34, verse 4. It says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Now, what I want you to notice, what I, what I want you to notice is what David did not say. David did not say, I sought God for my fears. He said, but rather I sought the Lord. He got his concentration and his eye back on where it should always be not on our problems, not on our troubles, not on the things that cause us to be afraid, but when our vision of God is bigger than our perception of the danger that we're facing, David said, the Lord delivered me from my fears because I sought him, because he became the object of my desire. In Psalm 56, verse 3, he says, when I am afraid, didn't say if I am afraid, for there will be times when we will wrestle against and struggle against this spirit of fear that I'm talking about this morning. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. That's the setting of his mind. That's, that, that's the establishment of the mindset of the course of when I'm in trouble. At the moment, he was not fearing. But what he was saying was, having learned from experience, having been through these seasons in my life, when I've experienced fear, when the time comes when I'm afraid, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my trust in God. And David models it for us in another psalm that I want us to look at, Psalm 27. And here we see the resolve of David. And this needs to be your resolve. It needs to be my resolve. That this is the way that we will respond in the face of stress and worry and anxiety and all these things that would bring us down. Look look at what he says in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He asks the question. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. My heart will not fear. I am not going to let fear take root in my heart. Remember what Paul said, that the peace of God, that is inexplicable, that passes understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. See, God wants us to be confident in him because confidence in God glorifies God. 
And, and isn't that one of the, the deepest motivations of our life? If you know Jesus, if you've been called into the kingdom, I mean, one of the first things that we begin to ask is, Lord, how can I, how can I bring you praise? How can I bring you glory? I know that you've called me for something bigger than myself, something bigger than my individual life. You, you've called me to glorify you. You know, the, the uh, number one point of why God made man is to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That's the motivation of our heart is to glorify him. So let me share this statement with you, and I believe it's important, that when it comes to fear, the battle is in the arena of the mind. When it comes to fear, that this battle arena takes place in the area of the mind. Have you ever noticed how problems seem to always be greater at night? Isn't that true? When it's dark, when there's a cover of darkness, you know? In the middle of the night sometimes when you feel like you can't sleep, you know, somehow or another, the problems don't seem to be as great in the daylight. Isn't that true? Come on, somebody say it's true. It is. There's something about darkness and there's something about light and there's something about in the, in the light of day, things don't seem to be quite as bad as you thought. You know, the Bible speaks about the terror that stalks by night, you know. I want you to think about this. Maybe you've noticed that commercial on TV for Lunesta. You know, I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you take Lunesta, you know, that, that, that's up to you. But, you know, personally, I would not t- take that, you know, to help me fall asleep, you know. Here's the way the commercial goes. It's a soft, gentle voice. It opens with the questions. When you want to sleep, do you lie awake? When you get to sleep, do you wake up often during the night? Sleep is here on the wings of Lunesta. Some sleep aids are approved to help you fall asleep, others to help you stay asleep, but prescription Lunesta is approved for both. That sounds pretty good, right? Hi, that's my problem. You know, if I can't fall asleep, once I fall asleep, you know, then I wake up. You know, so I need something like that, right? It, it sounds good until, until, until they read the warnings. <laughs> Do not take Lunesta if you have these reactions, if you drive or operate machinery until you know how it will affect you. Walking, eating, driving, and engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. Are you kidding me? driving? No wonder why I gained weight. I've been eating while I'm sleeping here. Other abnormal behaviors include aggressiveness, agitation, hallucinations, and confusion. In depressed patients, worsening of depression, including risk of suicide, may occur. The risk may increase if you drink alcohol, severe allergic, no, allergic, seriously, Severe allergic reactions such as trouble breathing, swelling of the tongue, throat occur, may occur and it will lead to fatality. Are you kidding me? If I popped one of those pills, I would be too nervous to fall asleep. My tongue, I'm swelling. Yeah. Yeah. 
God has something better for us. I love what David says. In the midst of his troubles, he says, I laid me down and slept for the Lord sustained me. God can keep us because he, he regards us to be the apple of his eye. And he says he gives his beloved sleep. I, listen, if you've had problems sleeping, I don't know. Did you try prayer? Did you try asking God? Did you try reminding God, God, your word says that you give your beloved sleep. I'm your beloved, hey, you know. Now, that might be a little simplistic, but I think there's some truth to it. Okay, my third example of, of somebody who was really courageous and then just yielding to this spirit of fear in a moment, and it doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely unreasonable and irrational. You know, and I mentioned I, I, mentioned I was going to use a couple of examples, and my wife, I, she's, she's going to talk about Elijah, right? I said, yeah. Elijah, this, this, this mighty man of God, this prophet who could pray, and it will not rain for three and a half years. In fact, in fact, what he does is it, it does, he prays and it doesn't rain for six months. And then he goes and stands before the king of Israel and says, it's not going to rain for another three years. Talk about courage. And when he prays again, the heavens are open and it rains. He calls fire down from heaven and it consumes the, the sacrifice to Yahweh. It lap, the fire laps up the water and it even turns the stones that the altar was built on into dust. He slays 450 of the prophets of Baal. And then he gets a note, handwritten note from Queen Jezebel. And the note simply, uh, maybe, maybe she perfumed it with her fragrance, I don't know. But, but, but the note simply re reads something like, God do to me tomorrow at this time if I haven't taken your life. He, he, he's just killed 450 of the prophets of Baal. When he, when he reads that message, when that message comes to him, instead of standing and fighting, he flees and he runs. And he runs as fast as he could, as far as he could. It was irrational. It was unreasonable. But he gave into a spirit of fear. Now I got to say this, that sometimes what we're dealing with is more than meets the eye. When we're talking about somebody who was adept at witchcraft and somebody who was like the character of this person, Jezebel, there's demonic activity involved. But not to fear because the Lord has given us authority and power over all the power of the enemy. And what happened to Elijah is that his perception of reality became distorted. My wife uh, teaches a Bible class and she uses as an acronym to help her students and I wanted to use that as well. F-E-A-R is false evaluation appearing real. It's a false evaluation. The spirit of fear calls Elijah to falsely evaluate his situation and his only response was instead of staying and fighting, it was to flee. And that's unreasonable. Maybe you're here this morning and you're dealing with some pressure that's beyond your ability to bear. I just want to encourage you this morning. You know those, those bathyspheres, you know those deep ocean uh, kind of vessels that go down, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of feet? They're reinforced with, with thick steel because the tons of ocean pressure would would 
break that thing like, a, like an eggshell if it wasn't reinforced with, with, with steel. Do you, ever, do you ever see any of those? The amazing thing about it is that, is that while the men are safe inside this reinforced steel, there's these little fish that are swimming so carefree on the outside of these bathyspheres. And they're soft and they're pliable on the outside, but there's something about them on the inside. There's a, an inner strength. And you know what they discovered that is? That they apply equal amount of pressure from the inside as applied from the outside. I want to tell you that there is, there is one who is in us that is greater than one that is in the world. And when we learn how to live in the power of the Spirit instead of walking by sight, in that moment, Elijah walked by sight instead of walking by faith, didn't rely upon the Lord. This is the first time in Elijah's life where he didn't get a word from the Lord. So when the Lord does come to him, he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Did I tell you to come here? The Lord had directed him with with words each and every step of the way throughout his career in ministry. What I want you to see is this, is that God wants you to not be oppressed and vexed and tormented by the spirit of fear, for greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I want to close with two last points or two last thoughts or scripture this morning. And I want you to just mark them down in your hearts and, 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 and really get a handle on this because this is what God says for you concerning this spirit of fear. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. If you are a child of God this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus, this applies to you. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. That is not the kind of life that God has for you. You have not received the spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. And by him, by the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. You have not received the spirit. See how fear can make you a slave? Right there, bondage is one of the other words that's used in the translation, other translation. But what I I find so interesting about this portion of scripture is the word that Paul uses. He says, Abba, which is the Aramaic word for, for father or papa, and the word father translated from the Greek word. Why use both? I mean, father would have been sufficient to carry across the idea of adoption, that, that God has adopted us and that we're the children of God. By the way, let me just say this. Don't become a victim of identity theft. I'm not talking about your credit scores. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the identity that you have in Christ. Because you are a child of God, God has not given you that spirit of slavery unto fear. I believe that Paul, showed, this is my personal opinion, I, I believe that Paul used the word Abba to to generate in our thoughts the the memory of Jesus. That when enormous pressure was placed upon Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point where he sweat, the Bible says, great drops of blood, 
the enormous pressure that Jesus received, the strength that Jesus was able to endure that pressure came out of his relationship with his papa. Don't let the enemy steal your identity as a child of God. If God has deposited within you the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, or, or, or being a daughter of God, then our, there's a witness that comes with that, that you are a child of God, and that God cares for you, and that his love is set on you. Under the Old Testament, God revealed himself in terror when the law was given, but here in the New Testament, God reveals himself in the tenderness of a father who we can call with boldness, Papa, Daddy. The other thought is this, and this is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And, and this is my bottom line this morning that I want you to know, and you can take this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. You do not have to be controlled. You do not have to be manipulated, anxious, and living a life that is oppressed by fear. For God has given you another spirit, a spirit. Notice in that sentence, the word spirit is not capitalized. That is the human spirit, that, that recreated spirit that God has placed within you. He has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Love to withstand all of the threats of the enemy. Power to be able to endure trials and, and, and difficulties. And a sound mind so that you have a rational and a a sober mind that will not be manipulated, not be controlled by the powers of darkness. Let's just pray together. Lord, I just thank you this morning for the promises that we have received in the word of God. God, this morning, I, I just pray for anyone in particular that is struggling, Father, with this issue of fear, anxiety, or worry, this oppression that comes upon us. Jesus, you went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And I pray this morning, Lord God, that there would be chains that would be broken in this place this morning. As we just begin to fix our eyes on you, as, as we like David, we, we make you our obsession. You deliver us from our fears. I pray for deliverance this morning, Lord God. If there's somebody that is being oppressed by a demonic force today, Lord God, let that be broken by the name of Jesus Christ this morning. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run therein and are safe. Father, now let the Holy Spirit just bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, that we have been deposited with, with love, power, and of a sound mind to be sufficient in every circumstance and in every situation. And that's our heart's desire this morning. And we all said, amen. Amen.